You can clap if you want to. I don't know about you, but it's kind of weird sometimes to hear people say, I love my church. Did you grow up loving your church? I didn't. Matter of fact, I grew up hating the church. Uh, I went to church for a long time, and then went, because my parents drugged me to church. You ever drugged to church before? And uh, I, I didn't really like to go until I was a teenager, and I really didn't like to go to church because of church. I just went to church, the youth group, because girls were there. And uh, that was my real spiritual reason, deep reason for going to church uh, when, I was, when I was that thing. So uh, the, the thing is, is that we don't hear people in our culture today talk about loving their church, but we hear them talking about all kind of crazy things that they love, you know, I mean, we, we talk about things that we love all the time. Let me give you some instances this morning to kind of put us all on the same page. Let me show you some pictures of stuff that people say they love. Here, throw up the first picture here. Y'all love, isn't that cute? A lot of people love their, love their pets, you know, they just, I love my pet, you know. I couldn't find any cute cat pictures, so uh, they just put a dog picture up there. Uh, my wife asked me that. She said, where's the cute cat picture? I said, you know I don't like cats. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm trying not, not trying to alienate anybody this morning, but that's just the way it is. Okay. Uh, you know, so we say, people say all the time, I love my pet. You know, they just go crazy. Some people love, like your pets, love your pets more than you do your kids. And so that's a little weird. Uh, but anyway, how about some other things? How about this? Let's go to the next slide. Next slide. Some of you love the team that plays here at this field. Y'all see what it is? How many of you like that team? You know, some of you are like, y'all pumped up. It's football time, you know. Bears games getting ready to start off, but some of you don't like them, but some of you like this next group. Watch this one. Okay, come on. I know you got to do it. You got to play it. There you go. Uh, yeah. Now, see, I knew, I knew that people would recognize Lambeau Field and because uh, a bunch of you wear your jerseys to church on certain game days. You know, it's kind of weird around here. You love, you know, and you'll go crazy. Like you cheered when we, you know, Lambeau Fields comes up. I don't know. You weren't too excited about Chicago Bears, but you were about the, Bear, uh, the Packers. Okay, some people say, I love my team, you know, and they go crazy over their teams, you know. We'll talk about that in a little while. Okay, uh, next, next slide. Oh. Some of you haven't had, you know, you're thinking about dinner today. That is a nice steak on a grill. I didn't get the whole picture. I got a zeroed in on steak, you know, and it's got some nice grilled vegetables there in the background. There's nothing better than that, is there? I love a good steak, don't you? Now, some of you are not quite gourmets like that, but some of you might like the next one. Let me show you the next one. Oh, man, look at that one. I thought that was a great pizza picture. Look at that stringy cheese coming out of that thing, you know. I told you the story a, few, a couple of months ago about when my wife went out of town and I cheated on my gluten-free diet. Oh, I didn't really cheat. I went out and uh, bought a gluten-free pizza and ate the whole thing because I hadn't had one in a long time. And I'm thinking, oh, this is so good. I just love this pizza. And, uh, and of course, it killed me. But anyway, uh, some of you say you love food. We, we say talk about all the time about the food we love. We talk about, we use that term, I love this, okay? How about this next one? How many of you love this? I don't know where that is. But when I saw that picture, I'm going like some tropical island somewhere. I'm going like, I would like to be there. You know, shorts, no shoes, no shirt. I don't know how pretty that would be. But the whole deal, you know, wouldn't you love to be there? We'd love to be there, okay? And here's another kind of place that I love. This is actually a place I love. You know where that is? That's the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia where I used to live. And it, people, when I saw, saw the other day, somebody at breakfast, I was showing those pictures to people, and somebody said, why did you move from there? I'm going like, well, I don't know. God told me to. But, uh, 
God sometimes a spoil sport. Anyway, that's a beautiful, that was, that's actually not too far from where I was taken not too far. I didn't take that, but somebody did, a professional photographer, not too far from where I live. But we say things like that all the time. I love these things, you know, food, pets, sports teams, all kinds of things. Let me tell you this morning, though, this, this morning we're talking about this. Go up to the next slide. I love my church. I love Great, great Oaks. I really do. And some people say, well, you know, you should love Great Oaks. You know what I mean? We've got a cool building. We had to make a massive thing yesterday. We probably, I don't know how many people we had here, but we had, we were parking people in the grass and down the road and in all kinds of places. And we had, let me tell you something. It's not about the numbers at Great Oaks that I love. I love Great Oaks when I came here 13 years ago and it was about 120 people over in the school. We had no building. We had nothing. The purpose of the, per- the reason I love Great Oaks is because it's a place where people can come to explore the claims of Jesus Christ. And people feel comfortable in doing so. I don't think it's weird to love, to love our church like all the people said in the video. We could have had a bunch more. We just had to shorten it down. So why, why do we think it's weird to love our church? You know, probably very few of us, if you loved your church growing up, probably loved your church growing up. You didn't because your parents, sometimes some of you had the wrong impression of what church was. Your parents fussed all the way to church and some of them cussed all the way to church. That's where you learn how to cuss on the way to church. And then when they got to church, what did they do? All of a sudden, everything kind of like got nice. You know, it was kind of weird. And because you think the church is the place where you don't act real, church is a place where you kind of like, and that's sometimes that happens in this. And because of that, I thought, well, church is not a natural place because it's a place where the only way you can fit in is because you have to act a certain way and be a certain way. But I began to read scripture and I've learned that church isn't something that is to be tolerated, it's something to be celebrated. Because church is not just an event on Sundays. It's, it's, it's a movement where we participate in it on Monday through Saturday as well. And, and as we do that, that is the church that I love because of its potential and its power to change lives. And I love this church because we're making a difference in Germantown Hills and beyond. Because of what God is doing through this church. And so, so, you know, so why is it weird to, to love this church? I mean, isn't it more weird to love a dog? I mean, what do dogs do? Well, let me just tell you what dogs do if you don't know. They pee, and they poop, and they eat your food, and then when they die, they make you sad, and they make movies about it, you know, when you cry, right? You know, why is it weird? Why, why, why isn't it weird to love a football team, a bunch of sweaty guys that you don't know personally, you know, who, who are overpaid? This is my opinion. And... And, and, and who go out and you, know, and you just go crazy. I love them, I love them. And you're going like, oh, you know, you know anything about them. Maybe a couple of them, what you read in the news, all the bad stuff. Is it weird to say that we, I mean, pizza. How many of you think it's weird to love pizza? Well, you love, well maybe the reason you love pizza is because it's getting you to heaven quicker. Because <laughs> it's clogging your arteries. Is it why you love pizza? I don't know, you know. Now, the thing about today we're going to talk about for a little, just a few minutes is as followers of Jesus, we should love what he loves. Is that not true? As followers of Jesus, we should love what he loves. So I'm going to look at just a past couple of passages of Scripture today. And it's on, if you've got a bulletin, it's on there. If you're not, you can take out your, uh, your iPad or your cell phone or your Bible if you actually use one of those and, and, and read this. It's in Matthew chapter 16. 
verse 13, chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, when Jesus is talking about the church, and it's kind of an interesting thing what he says. He says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, let's start there, Caesarea Philippi, isn't that a cool name for a place? Wouldn't you like to be from Caesarea Philippi? Where are you from? I'm from Salem, Virginia. No, where are you from? I'm from Germantown Hills. You know, no, I'm from Caesarea Philippi, okay? What a cool name, okay? And um, when Jesus came there, he said, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Now, let me say a couple of things about this verse. First of all, the interesting thing is here that I cannot find any place else in Scripture that mentions that Jesus went to this, this place called Caesarea Philippi except this verse. And it's interesting because when, when, when people heard that he had gone to Jesus had gone to Caesarea Philippi, they probably gasped, all the religious people did. Because Caesarea Philippi, well, two reasons. One, uh, Jesus had been in Jerusalem, and then he was traveling to Caesarea Philippi, and he walked everywhere, remember. Didn't have cars, didn't have trains, didn't have planes. He walked everywhere. And it, it was a seven-day journey uphill to go to Caesarea Philippi because it's way up north. And the thing is, is that he was, it took a long time to get there, so it was, it was geographically a long way. But what they would gasp about is not that. What they gasp about is he went to Caesarea Philippi, and it was as far away religiously and spiritually from Jerusalem as you could possibly get. Jerusalem was the place where all the religious people were. But Caesarea Philippi had a reputation where all the messy people were. And when I talk about, let me explain what messy means, okay? You don't understand messy, okay? You think about, you know, little kids, messy. No, this is bad. Think of spring break in college. Plus Mardi Gras. Plus Vegas nightlife times 100. That's the messy people that we found in Caesarea Philippi. Got a picture? <laughs> it wasn't a, it wasn't a play. You don't want to really be called from Cess. Matter of fact, it had a nickname. Caesarea Philippi had a nickname. You know what the nickname for Caesarea Philippi was? <laughs> the Gates of Hell. How would you like your town to have a nickname? Germantown Hills, the Gates of Hell. Yeah. But Jesus intentionally, it says in Scripture, intentionally goes this long journey to this place called Caesarea Philippi. And the one thing that I'll learn when I think about that is this. He went to where the messy people were. Jesus is not afraid of messy people. He doesn't run from messy people. He runs to them. And I believe this speaks to us as a church because the church that he died for, the church that, he, that we'll talk about in a minute that he built, for too long we have said, you know, so often people believe that, well, I can't come to church because I have to be like you before you, I can be a part of you. And that is not what Jesus talked about. Jesus showed up with us that we as followers of Christ cannot be afraid of messy people. We have to connect with messy people so they can know God. You know, I love it because some of you came to Great Oaks and connected with God because somebody told you that it was okay to come to Great Oaks to, if you were not okay. But it's not okay to stay that way. And let me tell you how I know that. I love it that sometimes I run into messy people that go to Great Oaks all the time. Okay, you know, this is a real big Catholic area. Some of you know that because some of you are former Catholics. And people come to me in the middle of the grocery store or at Menards for confessions. 
unintentional. I don't go there for that purpose, but, you know, I'm buying, you know, a few weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago, I was over in Menards, and this guy comes up to me, and I'd seen him at church here before, and he comes, he goes, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill, it's good to see you. And I said, I hadn't seen you in a while. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I've been kind of like, I've fallen off the wagon again. Yeah, I'm having trouble with pornography and drugs. And I'm going like, okay, and he's called me Pastor Bill. I'm glad that he was a messy person that felt comfortable enough to, with me that he could come to me and commit and, and actually say to me, hey, this, I'm messy and I wish you would, and I'm glad to see you because it reminds me I need to get over my mess and get past this. And then a couple of days ago, actually this week was kind of weird. It was the weirdest thing that happened. You ever have weird phone calls? I get really weird phone calls here sometimes. And one of our administrative assistants uh, uh, said, there's a person on the phone that want to talk to a pastor. And every time that happens, I go, like, oh. I mean, I'm not going, yes, God, thank you. No, I, I should have been doing that. In this case, I should have been. But this person calls, and they start telling me about their messy life. And this thing about she had been living with his boyfriend for the last six years, and he come, for some reason he came in this area. I don't think he came to Great Oaks. I don't know. And I'll tell you in a minute. It's really weird. And she said, started telling me this whole messy thing and all the stuff, and she was struggling with all these things and everything. And I said, would you like to come by and talk with me? And she says, no, I can't because I'm in New York State. And I said, don't they have churches in New York State? I said, how did you get my number? She said, well, I just started, I started looking in the area where my boyfriend kind of moved to, and I started just calling churches, and you were the first one to answer and talk to me. And she, after we had our phone call for about 10 minutes, she said, you know, I'm just really so glad you helped me so much. I said, well, I hope you find it. I gave her some instructions about trying to find a church there and a counselor and some things to work with and, and whatever. And, and I'm glad I talked to that messy person. I don't know about you guys, but you know, I hope there will always be the kind of church that welcomes real people who are messy. Who know that they are not where they need to be, but they are struggling, but they're trying to take a step forward in their walk with God. And I love this church. When it was 120 and now it's over 650 Sunday generally on average. I love this church because we've created an environment here where messy people can come to explore their next steps with God. That's one of the reasons I love this church. Let's go back to the scripture again, this passage here. It says, Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus got the conversation uh, as he goes to this place. He gets the conversation focused on what? On himself. On Jesus. Where is he? Quick note to all Christians. Jesus just got the conversation started about himself. And where did he get the conversation started about himself in? Did he get it started about himself in a church or in a small group? No. He was in Caesarea Philippi, where there was lots and lots and lots of really, 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 really messy people. So when you go back to work or to school and you think you can't talk about Jesus because there's just people around you are just too messy, think about what Jesus says. That's where you need to talk about Jesus, because those are the people that need Jesus in their lives. Anytime I, I, I think about that, I think about this. If Jesus had not loved messy people, he would not have loved me. And you can point to yourself when you say that. And if that is true, it's true about all of us. Because the scripture says, and it's true, it's this, that we're all born sinners, separated from God. We need the grace of God. All of us are messy. 
And Jesus came to clean up our mess. Because Jesus loves messy people. And the reason so many people don't, so many church people don't love messy people is because sometimes they've forgotten how messy they used to be. Or how messy they still are. Next couple of verses in Matthew 16, verse 14 and 15, it says this. They replied, after Jesus asked this question, they replied, some say John the Baptist. That's, he said, who do people say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? That last question, who do you say that I am, is the most important question that anybody can answer in their life. It's more important than what career you're going to have and who you're going to marry. It's more important than anything. The question is, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And let me tell you this. If you've not already answered that question, you will. Because this is the final exam question for everybody. Who do you say that I am? And then in verse 16, Simon Peter answers and gives the answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You know what Peter was saying? He was saying, Jesus, you are the hope of the world. You're the hope of the world. And then in verse 17 and 18, Jesus replies, ding, 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 ding. That's my, that's my response. You, know, you got it right. You got it right. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the, my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. On this rock means on this confession that Jesus is the hope of the world. You know, I just got to stop here and say this. It's real popular in culture today for people to say this. They're saying like, well, I love Jesus, and I'm a Christian, but I really don't need the church. If you say that you're following Jesus, I would argue that with, with those people that say that, that he would never lead you away from something that he died for. And then in that verse as well, he says, and the gates of Hades. And I wondered when he was talking, if he pointed towards Caesarea Philippi, <laughs> you know, <laughs> over there. And the gates of this place will not prevail, will not overcome it. You know, gates are not an offensive weapon. They're a defensive weapon. And nothing, it's what he's saying here is this. We get all concerned in culture because culture is going away from God. And we get all concerned that it's going to stop. You know, let me explain something to you. Jesus is saying nothing in culture can stop what God has put in place. You know what happens in countries when people get further and further, the, the culture gets further and further away from God, and the, and the government gets further and further away from God? The church flourishes. It may do it underground. You just look at examples in the world. China right now probably has more Christians than any country in the world. And it's not easy to be a Christian in China. The gates of Hades cannot prevail against the message. It's not about buildings. It's, not, it's about God's message and God's word prevailing in a culture. And that's what the church is. We were just as much a church at the school with 120 people when we were caring about people and reaching out to people as we are now when we're more people and have a building. 
And if tomorrow this building burned down because the fireworks exploded on top of it and everything was wiped out, we'd still be the church. See, the church is empowered by God's Spirit to be going, uh, and it's going to be so powerful, he says, that it's going to impact. This is what the church does when it's doing what God wants us to do. It's impacting messy people, the people that have no hope, the people who have given their lives to all kinds of things that the world would promise to fill them up. And they keep getting uh, made promises, and the promises fail to give meaning and purpose to their lives. And Jesus is saying this movement is going to be so powerful that it will sweep over them, and there will be a wave of grace that hits places like that, like Caesarea Philippi and these other places, and they're going, not, and they're going to be not just outcasts, but they're going to be included because I am the hope of the world. Jesus promised that was going to happen. And even today, I would believe if you've come here and you're a skeptic even, I believe you would, you would agree about one statement that I'm going to make today. Even if you're here and you don't, you don't follow Jesus Christ, you're kind of checking this out, and you just know about this whole deal. One, one statement I will say is this, a promise is only as good as the person making it. Would you agree with that? A promise is only as good as the person making it? Let me give you an illustration of that. Now, you've got to play along this morning, okay? Okay. And the reason I'm asking this is because all of us have had promises that were broken, right? So let, let's do this. How many of you have had, still have student loans? You can raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have car payments? How many of you have house payments, mortgage payments? How many of you are not playing because you're just <laughs> big chief no fun or something? I don't know what the deal is, you know? Okay. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Most of you raised your, raised, raised your hand for one or more of those things. What if someone called you today and said, I would like to pay off all of your debt? What if somebody did that? How many of you would be interested in that call? Anybody? Anybody? Call, no, raise up your hands. If you're, okay, the rest of you are just big chief, no fun. Okay, you're not playing. Okay. We're just playing a game here, okay? Now, you get a phone call and they tell you uh, that they will do that. Now, based on who it is that calls you, is how excited you're going to be, right? Just imagine for a minute. Think about it for a minute. Think about the phone call comes in, and this person says they want to pay off all your debt. And, it's your, and I want you to think about it. Who, who is it in your family that's your most broke, weird, crazy relative? Think about that for a minute. Got, got them in your mind? If you can't think of them, they're probably you. Okay? Because everybody else in their family is thinking about you. Okay, right? Think about that. Would you be very excited if you get that call that I'm going to pay off your debt from this bo your broke, weird, crazy relative? Would you get really excited about that? Probably not. You'd talk to your, you know, if it's me, I'd talk to Vicky. Vicky, you know, Uncle, Uncle Joe, is, he, he must be smoking pot again, you know? <laughs> but what if this guy called you? Come on. You know who that is? Come on, come on. We all know who that is, right? Bill Gates. It's not Bill White, it's Bill Gates. <laughs> Let me tell you some things about Bill Gates that I learned on the internet yesterday. It has to be true because it's on the internet. Um, 
According to August of this year, which is this month, Bill Gates' current net worth, he's the richest man in the world, current net worth is $79 billion. He's richer than lots of countries. And this is after, over the last few years, he and his wife Melinda have given away over $30 billion through his organization, the Gates Foundation. Bill turns 60 in October. Now, keep this in mind. Without him making one more penny of money and not doing anything except putting it in his mattress and keeping it there, that'd be a big mattress. If he lived to the age of 90, let's say he's long lived, lives to the age of 90, so he gets 30 more years and not making any more money, he would have to spend over $7 million a day to exhaust his wealth. You're going like... Some of you are going like, you know, you know, fun, big chief sport, no, I don't care. Uh, you, you're going like, you know, well, money can't make you happy. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind trying that for a day or two, you know? <laughs> Would you? Yeah, sure. So somehow, Bill gets your number. And he calls you on the phone and he says, I would like to pay off your debt. Would you get excited about that? Why? Why would you get more excited about that than, than your crazy relative? Because Bill has the potential, the real potential. I mean, to, he probably has his, everything you owe in his pocket. It's pocket change for him. A guy that has to spend $7 million a day, you know, he don't have to spend that, but he could, you know. You'd get excited. And the reason is because you know that there was a power behind the promises that Bill makes, Right? There's the power behind the promises. See, Jesus promised that he was going to build a church. And he made a bunch of other promises too. He said things like, I will always be with you. And in the middle of the storm, I will give you peace. And no matter what you do, I will always love you. And he said all these different promises in Scripture. And from this point on, when this story in Matthew 16 was told in Scripture, from this point on in the gospel, he made promises to his disciples, and, and which they didn't believe. And he made the promises not once, but the same promise at least five times we see in Scripture. And the promise was thing, something like this. Uh, he says, we're going to go back to Jerusalem, and, we're going to, and they're going to arrest me, and they're going to mock me, and they're going to beat me, and they're going to crucify me. But three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead. He made them a promise, and they didn't believe him. And we give the disciples a hard time. We're going like, oh, they were just a bunch of people with no faith. We would have said the same thing if we'd have lived in that culture in that day. You know, Matthew had not read Matthew yet. We have some advantages. He'd not read any except the Old Testament. See, the reality is none of us, none of us, has ever seen a person die, and then we sit there and think, you know, I think they'll be all right. You know, I think in three days they're going to come back and we'll see them again. Or, or down the road, you're going like, you know, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. And you're going like, they're dead. Because our perspective on death is that when you die, it's the end, right? But Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's going to be with me. It's going to be something different because when I die, I'm going to come back in three days. 
I've said this before and I'll say it again. The thing is, the reason I don't follow Jesus because of what he said. I follow Jesus because of what he did. Because you can say all kinds of things, but if you don't back it up by doing it, there's no power in those promises. I follow him because Jesus because of what he did. And because of what he did, I can, I can know that what he said, because of what Jesus did, I know what he said carries weight. And he has more power than Bill Gates has money. And, he, and he's able to fulfill the promises that he made. I mean, later on in Scripture, it talks about exactly that, that promise he made several times in Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. He comes and I'll ask the band to come on out. No, they're already out here. They're quiet. Well, they're really quiet. They're so sneaky. I didn't know they were coming out. Okay. In Matthew 28, we read this. You know, Jesus had promised five times that he'd be crucified, but he would come back to life. In, verse, in chapter 28 of Matthew, though, it says this in verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, this is after Jesus had been crucified. He says, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said. The reason I love the church and the reason I love this church is because we worship and we follow. Where else in the world can you find anybody else that that's true of? You can't. You can't. Every single promise that he has made, not because I don't follow him because he's a great teacher, Jesus is because he's a great teacher, but because he was dead and he came back to life. And I don't know about you, anybody that could do that, I'm going to follow. And the reason I love this church is because we follow a Savior who keeps every one of his promises. No other organization can say that. Jesus is the hope of the world. And Jesus built the church to take his message and his promises to the world. And I love this church not because it is perfect, but because we follow a perfect Savior who always keeps his promises. And I want to tell you this today. If you're here and you are a messy person, if we'll all admit that we're messy persons, if you admit that you're a messy person, Jesus can clean up your mess. You know why? Not because I say it, but because he said it. The hope of the world is not a political solution. The hope of the world is not a financial solution. The hope of the world is a gospel solution. It's the good news The good news of Jesus Christ really does heal hurting people. It really does break the chains of addiction. It really does hold marriages together. It really does include the excluded. It really does set people free. It really does give people hope. And it still brings about changes, even in the most hopeless of situations. And you know what the good thing is about Christ? In Christ... The best is always yet to come. Which is why I love my church. And to, tomorrow, if something devastating happened, I would still be here, still doing the things that God wants us to do because the church is the instrument that God wants to use in our world to make a difference. The church, through Jesus Christ, is the hope of the world. 
Not because of the potential we have, but because of the promise Jesus made that he would build his church and nothing could overcome it. I hope you love the church. I hope you understand why it's important. It does things personally for people, and I appreciate so much the testimonies that people gave. And I was talking yesterday to some folks here at Community Bash about things, and it's so cool to hear testimonies of God's changing lives. That's why I love the church, because God is working through you guys. If we just let him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your incredible love and your goodness to us. I pray that you would just enable us this morning, God, to truly understand to truly understand that the reason we love the church is not because it's perfect or because it's, it's special in any way except for one way, and that is because of Jesus Christ, because we follow and our message is about the hope of the world, the only thing that can make real change happen. So guide us this morning, God, as we close and we go from this place, that we would realize that we are sinners saved by grace. No matter how messy we, ha- we are, where we've been, what we've done. And God, I am so encouraged that no matter where we've been in life, God, as we trust in you and you lead the way because of your promises, God, that the best is yet to come. It may not come, God, till we get to heaven. But the best is yet to come. Guide us now, God. Guide us now to truly learn to depend and love you because of what you've promised us and the fact that you keep your promises. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.